0: Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate that. Now, thanks, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you this evening. Let me begin my little segment here this <laughs> evening by just sharing a little bit about my own personal background uh, and how I discovered my own vocation, how it was, uh, 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 how it became apparent to me that God was calling me into this life. Uh, my brother and I had what I could probably refer to as just a, a, a very typical upbringing we were raised in a very typical Catholic family. We prayed together, went to Mass together. Uh, I had a great pastor when I was growing up. His name was Father John Sheridan. He was a very tall, very imposing priest who wore a cassock all the time. I should learn a lesson from him. But to, I'm, Today's officially my day off, so I dressed down a little bit. Okay. Um, but Father Sheridan was very, very stately and and very impressive, and I remember when I was very small, I brought the gifts up to Father Sheridan at Mass. I was probably no more than that high, and Father Sheridan was taller than I am, and I remember bringing up the gifts, and he looked down at me, and he smiled. And it was, I I thought to myself, you know, that was probably the first time I thought, oh my goodness, wouldn't it be incredible to take Father Sheridan's place Uh, at some point in the future, you know, what an incredible honor that would be. Um, So, you know, I made my way into school, went to Catholic uh, high school, Catholic university, um, got into, uh, I worked in a couple uh, sales jobs for a short time, and and then got into banking. I started in mortgage banking when I was... uh, uh, in my mid-20s, mid to late 20s, and started um, working in a really small bank out in a really small town called Richmond, which is on the way out to Lake Geneva. Mm-hmm. And uh, I learned how to do everything in the bank. Count the vault, do, do the mortgage applications, open new accounts, everything. Um, worked the teller line. Uh, very, very interesting experience. Uh, worked my way through a couple of different banking jobs. It was, it was in my mid-20s, I would say, that I had uh, what I could describe as a really profound um, experience of God. I had a a totally new experience, a new and different experience of God. I really felt the presence of God in my heart and my soul in a way that I never had before. And I felt uh, as if God were almost like speaking to me, calling me into closer friendship with God, you know. It was really, I can't even describe it really, but it was just this incredible sense um, that God was inviting me to a closeness to God that I had not had before. And so I started becoming more involved in my parish. And uh, and, and I had really a lot of fun. I became an usher, and uh, eventually I became a lector and a Eucharistic minister. And the more I did, the more I wanted to do. And then it wasn't long before a priest came to me and said, you know what, you should think about becoming a priest, you know, the pastor of the parish, actually. And I went home, I laughed. I was sitting there reading the newspaper, I said, I have no idea where he's coming from with that. But I couldn't concentrate on what I was doing, because I thought, you know, priests just don't do that. They just don't walk up to someone and say, you know, ordinarily, I should say, you know. A priest will not ordinarily do that. Or people will not just ordinarily do that. Walk up to someone and say, you should think about becoming a priest. Maybe I should. I don't know. Maybe we'd have a lot more priests. I don't know. But it was the oddest thing. you know. And so uh, I moved away, got a different job, moved away, and I registered in the parish. And I met the pastor. And the pastor talked to me for probably about ten minutes, asked me what I do and where I live and stuff like that. And he said, you know what, I know material for the priesthood when I see it, and I've recruited six other guys for the priesthood. And uh, there's something in you that, that, uh, that indicates to me, that is, uh, you know, that, that suggests to me that you would make a good priest, and you should think about the priesthood. <laughs> so, And then finally it happened one other time, another, another priest came to me and said, you know, you need to think about becoming a priest, you know. And so, this was something that, uh, you know, I'm not a big believer in writing on the wall and Mm -hmm. angels appearing and signs and stuff like that, but there was, I had to pay attention to this. I simply did. I mean, it was like the two by four over the back of the head. And so, you know, my call to the priesthood was not from an experience of, like, extraordinary conversion. Sometimes you hear stories of someone who had this incredibly powerful, extraordinary conversion experience, and they woke up and thought that maybe they should be a priest or there was an apparition, you know, Blessed Mother, telling them they should be a priest. That didn't happen to me, you know. Um, uh, It was a gradual thing. It was sort of a a, a gradually unfolding uh, story in my own life. The more I served the church, the more I wanted to serve the church, and the more satisfaction I got out of it myself. And the more I found that people came to me and said, you know, this is something that you should seriously think about you would make a good priest. Um, but I struggled with a lot. I struggled with uh, my own inadequacy. I thought, you know, I don't have this priestly sort of pedigree because I always thought that you had to be well, from a wealthy family or a prominent family or a big family or an Irish family. My mom's Irish but my surname is, is, is as Polish as the day is long. Um, And so I thought, well, you know, I struggled with a lot of things. You know, am I worthy of this? Can I stand up in front of a crowd of 25 or 30 people and talk about my life? You know, uh, 25 years ago, I would have passed out, you know, uh, if I knew that I'd be up here doing this kind of thing today. But now, uh, it's what I do on a Sunday morning. And it's something that uh, gives me tremendous energy. And hopefully, that is something that I can share with the people of God. So uh, I joined a priestly discernment group. There were a bunch of guys, about maybe uh, 25 guys, uh, that meet every week. This was a long time ago. This was probably about maybe 12, 15 years ago. I joined what's called a, the, the in-search group. Maybe you've heard of this, but it's a group of guys that get together on a, uh, every Tuesday, and they talk about a possible vocation that they may have to priesthood. And it's an opportunity for the guys to kind of work out some questions that they have in their mind. Is this really for them? Are they ready to make a commitment to the celibate life? That's a very important thing, too. Um, and uh, is this something that they can see themselves doing for the rest of their lives? You know? And it's a two-way street because it's a decision that comes from within the individual, and then it's also a decision that comes from the church. So, as you make your way into the process of becoming a priest, you know, you have the option, until the day you're ordained, of saying, you know what, thank you very much, it's been great, but I'm going to move in a different direction with my life. Likewise, the, the cardinal, the seminary, the archdiocese can come to you and say, you know what, thank you very much for your interest, but we think you would do better selling insurance, you know, or, or, or some other thing, you know. So... Uh, it's, it's really a two-way street, but, uh, you know, I became a priest, I believe, because uh, I was invited. I was personally invited. And was I ever. I mean, I, you know, it's as if God were really and truly putting the two-by-four in the back of my head, you know. And that doesn't happen to most people. But everybody's story is different, you know. If you were to talk to any number of priests, you would hear a totally different story. But that's what happened to me. And I think that's part of the gift and grace of where the church is right now and where the priesthood is right now is that, uh, you know, a lot of guys coming into the to the priesthood come from a variety of backgrounds. I did a homily some time ago when I actually explained that uh, and talked about the guys that were ordained in the last year, what background they came from, the experiences, and it are really very, very fascinating. But it's a gift and a grace, I think, that uh, that the church uh, Gives experienced men, older men, uh, an opportunity to um, to do this ministry and to share their faith uh, with the people of God. Um, I also, I think, became a priest because I really devoted myself to a life of personal prayer, and I think that in large measure my vocation came from my experience going to Eucharistic Adoration every week. Monday night at eight o'clock was my regular hour up at Marytown. I live not very far, probably about. 20 minutes straight east of Marytown. Um, And so it was very convenient for me, even in the wintertime when there was four feet of snow on the ground. But uh, every Monday night, on a regular basis, I would be there at Marytown. And it was the greatest experience. It was like the high point of my whole week, was to go to the chapel there and just pray. Because it was as if I was alone with the Lord. You know, there's the Lord in his Eucharistic presence and me. And the Lord is up there looking at me, and I thought, wow, this is this is just awesome, you know. There's nothing better than this, besides heaven, heaven itself. And there was something so um, uh, uh, um, life-giving about that. It really helped to renew me every week so that I was ready for the struggles that I would have to deal with during the week, whatever they were. Um, and so... Um, you know, I, I, I really, uh, I felt that uh, part of what drew me to the priesthood, to public ministry, was my own life of private prayer. Um, and so, um, and so that's what brought me to the priesthood. On March the 24th of 2003, I was ordained. And the night before, I didn't think I'd get any sleep because obviously, you know, you're at the rehearsal the day before, just like a wedding. And, uh, you know, it's a very exciting thing. And, kind of get pushed around, they show you where you're supposed to stand, what you're supposed to say, so on and so forth, and I thought, okay, well, this is really going to be quite an ordeal, and I drove home and made a couple phone calls, and then uh, I went to bed that evening and thought, well, I'm probably not going to get much sleep tonight, if any at all, because uh, tomorrow's just a huge day. Well, I just said, Lord, uh, you know, tomorrow's ordination day, please, give me some sleep, and I rolled over and fell asleep. (laughs) And I woke up about 5.30 in the morning, and I looked at the clock, and I thought, wow, it's pretty early. And all of a sudden I realized, oh my goodness, it's ordination day. This is a big, big day. So so I raced downtown, and um, we had breakfast at the seminary chapel, what used to be Quigley Seminary chapel, which is now the offices for the archdiocese, and uh, I had the honor of leading the morning prayer that day along with the cardinal, and then uh, my family and I went and had breakfast, and then after that we went to the cathedral, and at 10 o'clock in the morning we were ordained. And I'll tell you, it was like the most incredible day of my whole life, especially being on that floor. You, you just lay flat on the floor while the litany of the saints is being sung, and you realize that the Holy Spirit is being invoked on yourself and your classmates, And so there was a Master of Ceremonies standing off to the side, and he said, Ordinons, that's the name of those who are to be ordained. Ordinons, please stand. Ordinons, kneel. Ordinons, move this way. Move that way. And then you kneel in front of the cardinal, and he puts his hands down in absolute, total silence, places his hands on the top of your head. And when the hands come up, you're on forever. (laughs) forever, until they put you in the cold ground. You are on. And so, as soon as all of us were ordained in the proper rite of the Church, and the prayer of consecration was said, the Master of Ceremonies all of a sudden became extremely cordial and polite. Reverend Fathers, to the sacristy (laughs) Reverend Fathers, your vestments, you know, and, and so we were all vested and then we went out and finished the rest of the Mass. But all of a sudden I realized, this is it. I am on forever and ever and ever. And it was at that point that the words, you are a priest forever, in the line of Melchizedek, really began to sink in. Sink in. Um, but um, my first assignment was at St. James in Arlington Heights. And I moved out there and settled, started to settle into the parish and started to get to know a lot of people out there, and this is a very big prayer, similar to this, and, uh, and I remembered a very simple prayer that my family and I prayed every day when I was growing up, and it goes like this, O Divine Jesus, through the most pure heart of Mary, I offer you all my prayers and works, sufferings and joys of this day, for all the intentions of thy divine heart. That's the prayer. My family and I used to say that every day before we'd go on our way, whatever we were doing, um, my dad was a party guy. He was not into pain and suffering or anything like that at all. He just, his life was all about fun. And, and I do mean that. His life, was, he dedicated himself to the pleasure principle and he was just all about fun. He could never get himself to say sufferings and joys. He always said joys and enjoys. <laughs> <laughs> he would have nothing to do with suffering, nothing at all. But I remembered that prayer. And when I started to do the ministry of the priest, I I remembered that prayer and I said, you know what, sufferings and joys, sufferings and joys, you know. It occurs to me that uh, a priest, um, every day is different. That's the thing about this life, is that there are no two days that are alike. A phone call will change everything. And you're out, you could be out until three in the morning with the family, uh, a bereaved family at the hospital. Um. Or you could be at a wedding reception until, you know, after midnight, and then up early the next day preaching the 7.30 Mass. No two days are ever alike, and that's uh, that's one of the things that um, that I think uh, challenges me, but also um, uh, is really a heck of a lot of fun, you know, because it's not, uh, there's no routine, really, uh, besides the regular scheduled Masses, but everything else is unscheduled. Uh, you know, you're, you, 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 um... You are at the service of the parish, whatever is going on at the parish at any particular time, with any particular person. But um, one thing that I learned is that as I started to live the life of the priest, my prayer life changed very radically, very radically. And what I mean by that is that I used to be one who would pray privately to God. I loved going to my room, or going to the chapel, or going to Marytown, uh, and praying privately. I don't do that so much anymore. Why? Because my prayer life is now public. You, know, you begin to realize that as an ordained minister of the church, you belong to the community. And you are there to lead the community in prayer. And so now, almost, I am almost, I don't want to say uncomfortable, but I'm, uh, I, I am much more comfortable, much more at ease, Praying with the community, you know. So when I'm up in my room and I open a prayer book, it's all—I I feel like I'm missing something. And of course, I'm missing something. It's the congregation. It's the people, because that's what you do. You lead people in prayer, you know. Um, and so, you know, one thing that I have come to learn in my relatively short time as a priest is that what people look for when they come here is Christ. They're looking for not none other than Christ. People want to see Christ. They want Christ with them when they're getting ready to die. They want Christ with them when they're ready to make the commitment of their lives to one another in marriage. They want Christ to be there when their children are baptized. They want Christ with them when they're getting ready to go in for surgery. You know. They want Christ with them when they're trying to make major decisions about the direction of their life. They want to know Christ more deeply in His Word, in the theology and in the tradition of the Church. You know, so that's what people come here for, and and that's something that is is something that I, I, I still have to um, um, really try to uh, try to um, understand every day in my role as a priest because I you know. It's very easy for someone like me to take my um, position here for granted. It's uh, it's a very difficult thing to explain, but it's almost as if, uh, you know, you can fall, as I mentioned, there's no routine, but you can almost think of yourself as a sacramental functionary, you know, and that all you do is go from one sacramental thing to the other, to the other, to the other, you know. But, and that's part of it, certainly, because you can't have the sacraments. Uh, without a priest or deacon most of the time, you know, unless there's some kind of special dispensations made. I'm thinking in particular of the Eucharist and sacrament of reconciliation. But, um, you know, I happen to think this in terms of the future of the priesthood. Priests really need to concentrate and focus on doing what only a priest can do, you know, because the challenges, especially in the life of a parish, are so incredible. There are buildings to maintain. There's grass to cut. There's snow to plow. There's a leaky roof to repair. And, and priests, especially the pastor, tend to get very caught up in this kind of stuff. And I think that what we need to do is is uh, come up with some kind of new model or new vision of the priesthood so that priests can really focus on what, a pre- oh, what only a priest can do. Do <laughs> you know what I mean by that? Mm-hmm. Hear confessions, um, uh, celebrate the sacraments, um, be with the sick, counsel people. Uh, be available to people, you know? Uh, so I'm praying for a renewal of the priesthood, a renewal of the priesthood. Um, and I think it's pretty obvious because, you know, uh, I have to be very very honest with you. Sometimes I put my head down when I have my Roman collar on because there are people that put us on a pedestal and there are other people who wish us death. Um, and I've encountered both. Um, you know, it's. It, I think that the priesthood right now is in the worst uh, crisis that it's been in since the French Revolution. I mean, I'm not sugarcoating anything for you folks. That's just the way it is because of uh, what, what is going on right now. Um, so we need to pray. You know, we need to pray for our bishops. We need to pray for our pastors. We need to pray for an increase in vocations uh, to a priesthood and religious life. And we need to pray for a renewal, a strengthening of the priesthood of Christ. Because the Lord said, I will give you shepherds. He's never going to leave his church untended. He never has and he never will. But, you know, there's, there are ups and downs. <laughs> you know, I think in, in many ways we're way up right now. I have great, great hope and optimism for the future of the church at large. Uh, I wish I could say the same thing about the future of the priesthood. But I think we need to pray about that. We certainly do. Um, sometimes I wake up and I think to myself, what if the church had no money? <laughs> Yeah, you know? what if the church had no property? What if the church had no power? What if the church had no uh, influence? You know, and uh, no furnishings and no gold and stuff like that. Would we still be the people of God? You know, uh, we would be. We would be. Would we be a more spiritual people? Would be. We would be. Would we be um, closer to God in some ways? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, there's lots and lots and lots of challenges out there. And I happen to be in a small percentage of priests who are under the age of 50, you know. And so I think about the future of the church a lot. And uh, and there are some things that, that really uh, that bring me great joy and great hope, and there are other things that worry and trouble me. But when I look at the people of God who come every Sunday, and I mean, I'll tell you, you come down here on Sunday at 1030, even at 9 o'clock, and there's standing room all the way around. <laughs> you know, Sunday is what gives me great, great hope. Uh, so I live for Sundays. I really mm-hmm. do. That's the best. Absolutely the best. Uh, I could go on and on and on. But uh, that's a little bit about you know what's going on and where I'm coming from these days. And I thank you all very much and wish you a very merry Christmas and a happy new year. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.